0: I'm telling you, folks, it, it, I, my radar is always up for the, the things that are going on in the world, and we watch these things. And, and if you, in the last few weeks, if we've been looking, as we've been looking at this, if your radar's not tuned in a little more, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on because as we're talking about these things of end times, you ought to be seeing stuff if you're watching the news. I think it's important we see what's going on in the world because we're seeing prophecy fulfilled. We're seeing things come into play. Even, even that meeting that went on, uh, was that yesterday or today, with Putin and, and Biden? So they had, a, they had a meeting, they had a video conference call. I haven't really heard anything that come out of that yet, so I don't know. But all of that, those things, those little things and the little things that are going on with these world powers, this is all big things that are coming together and the intricacies. And you don't know how this event is going to affect that event, which will affect that event. God knows it's all worked out and, and these things are coming. But we get the excitement of watching this and seeing these things come together Right before our eyes. I mean, now I wasn't here when Israel became a nation, but I, I, was, I was 10 years old. You know, I, I, was, I was born 10 years later. So, I mean, it was, as I got older and began to look back on that, it's amazing. That's not that long ago. And we're watching that as Israel, and we looked for several weeks on that, that, that topic of Israel and, and where they are in this and the things that we've seen. So tonight we're going to move to the next part of this, and the second thing we're looking at is Europe. As we look at Europe, and again, I'll just tell you, this: is the outline of this is coming from David Jeremiah's book, The Book of Signs. We're going to work through these signs, and then we're going to probably go into a verse-by-verse study through Revelation. I think that's the direction I'm feeling led, and... Um, and so that's probably where we'll get to the early part of next year as we work through this. But let's look at this in Europe as we're talking about Europe. Now, Daniel chapter 2 is, is where we're going to start because we're looking at, we're looking at this, this image and this image that the Lord reveals to Nebuchadnezzar. It's this incredible, this vision that he gives him, this dream that he gives him, and it just it, it shakes him up. And as you read in chapter 2, I'm going to point this out because I've, I've found this interesting as I've been studying and asked a couple other people about it, what they thought. But it, but it, there's no other place. There's several times in Scripture where God will give a vision or a dream. And we saw that with Joseph. We sit here with Daniel um, multiple times. But but it's interesting that say I'm the king and I want somebody to interpret a dream for me. I'll call them in and they, he would call in those those. those soothsayers those whatever just you know who I'm talking about the the magicians just the the the, the charlatans the, the the snake oil salesmen all whatever they are they're all a bunch of it's a, you know it's a bunch of whatever it was they could come in and they would they would tell the king the king would tell his dream and then they would give an interpretation this is the only time we see it the way this happens and i find it fascinating Find it very, very fascinating, and I'm just going to read here in, in, in Daniel chapter two. If you have your Bible, and you can read, turn there and read there. But it says And now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar uh, of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his p- spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. So he's he's having problems sleeping. This dream is that it, it's 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 tearing him up. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians and astrologers and sorcerers and the child, and the child deans, deans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Now, did you notice what it says there? He called them to tell the king his dreams. It, it, no, no other time do we see that in Scripture. Every other time in Scripture we've seen this, it's the king tells them his dream. And, and then they give an interpretation. They tell what's going to happen. What does it mean? Here it says that he calls them together to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king and the king said to them, I've, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Now, if you look at the word there, it says to know the dream. And I think this is where some people have taken this idea that the king couldn't remember the dream. I don't believe that's what the scripture says at all, and I don't believe that's the context of what's going on here. But there are those that I've read that says, well, the king couldn't remember the dream, so he wanted them to tell him what his dream was. Listen, if I forget a dream, if I have a dream and I forget what it is, I'm probably not going to be losing sleep over it. Amen? Okay. I mean, if I can't remember it, if it wasn't that traumatic that I could remember it. If you ever woke up with a dream, listen, I had dreams when I was a kid. I had I always heard if you had the same dream three times, it would come true. And I had a dream where the bear was chasing me at my grandmother's house. And I had that same dream. And have you ever had a dream where you couldn't move? You know, So I'm at the corner of the house. I still see it like it's, I mean, I'm at the corner of the house. And I'm trying to run around the corner of the house to get away. And, the, and it's coming. And I cannot, my legs won't move. I just can't go. And I had that dream multiple times. I'm 53 years old. I probably had that dream 40 years ago. 43 years ago, and, and I had it multiple times. I still remember it. So, if it's a dream that shakes you up a little bit, you might remember what it was. So, I don't believe at all that he forgot what the dream was. In fact, the word there to know actually means to understand. So, and my spirit is anxious. It says, And I have had this dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldean spoke to the king in Aramaic O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. Oh, that's easy enough. You tell me your dream and I'll make up something and tell you. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me. Now, if he had forgotten the dream and they, t- they could make up a dream, right? If he didn't remember the dream, he didn't know what the dream was, they could just make up a dream too, right? Oh, a dream of uh, king, you dreamed you were floating down the river and, and, and a cow fell out of the sky. They could make up anything. And, uh, But but he says, if you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation. So he, in the past, people would tell him, here's the dream, you tell me the interpretation. The king says, no, you're going to tell me the dream and its interpretation. Uh, And if you don't, you shall be cut in pieces. (laughs) And your houses shall be made as ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my my decision is firm. So you're killing time at this point. If you do not make known the the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The king was shook up here. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and it it has got him. He's not sleeping, he's baffled, he don't know. He's wanting to know, but he wants to know for sure that they're given a, a right interpretation, and he's wise in this. He says, if you can, if you can't give me the, the, the if you can't tell me what the dream was, how can I know you can even tell me what it what the interpretation is? But I know this: if you can tell me what my dream was. I can have confidence in the interpretation as well. And that's what's... So I find that so fascinating right here in this, here in chapter 2 of this. And so now we're going to get into... Let's look at this dream. I'm going to look at starting out with four verses right here. Daniel 2 verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great... Now we know, we know what's going on. Daniel comes in. Daniel saves the day because they were going to kill all of these people. Daniel really saved their life. He didn't have to. Daniel could have easily said, I slay them all. They're useless. But I'll tell you. I'll tell you the dream. I'll tell you because God's gonna, God will tell me. I can't give you the interpretation. I can't tell you the dream, but God can. He could have done that. He didn't. He said, spare them. Don't do that. Don't be so hasty with this. Hold on. And he says, I I, I can. He goes and he prays and they pray. And God gives him the dream. God gives him the interpretation. So now we come here to chapter, we're here in chapter two and we come to verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass. His legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and brake them to pieces. So we see more there. We're going to look at the image tonight. We're going to talk about that image. But we see there in verse 34 is not only is the prophecy there of these, these kingdoms to come, the kingdom that was there, but then the kingdoms to come, but we also see the last kingdom, and that's the Lord God Almighty as He destroys this image. He destroys this power structure that goes through all of history from that point till we're, we're still in this today. You're going to see but we see here that, that that stone is Christ, and Christ is going to crush this and de- destroy all this and establish a kingdom that will last forever. So let's look at the image, and you know, I had a video. I probably wish I I wish now I had loaded that had Aaron load that video to show you. And it was just a short video, but you can go on YouTube if you want to just search it. You can search for this image, and there's some videos there that the graphic design today it's amazing the stuff they're doing with move and stuff. So there's there's a video I found, and it and it shows you you're coming in. You can see the head of this thing. They've got it in like a. Uh, almost like in a stadium and you come in and you're looking at this statue and it comes up and it, and it goes up and it goes down. You're looking at this whole statue and imagine this statue, this, now this is a dream. So it's not an actual thing, but this is what he's seeing. It would have blown you away. To look at it, it's of gold. This head is of gold, and the the chest and the arms, however the arms were, some show it this way, others show it like this or whatever. It doesn't matter if the arms were out, it doesn't matter. But the arms and the the chest and the shoulders, that area was of silver, and then you come down to the stomach, and the the waist area here was brass. You get to the legs, the legs of iron, and you get to the feet, the feet mixed of iron and clay. So let's look at what what those mean. Now, number one here is this head of fine gold, is Babylon. It's, it's where we see right here. It's where Daniel is. Is King Nebuchadnezzar. It's the kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar is ruling. Verse 36, this is the dream and we will tell the interpretation there before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beast of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all, thou art this head of gold. So we don't have to wonder as we read this, well, what is that kingdom? Daniel tells us right there, God reveals it, that this first image, this first, this gold, this first part of that, that statue of gold there, That is Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Now, the chief deity of Babylon was was Marduk, Marduk, and that was the god of gold. Now, one historian described this god this way. He said that it was a golden statue seated on a golden throne before a golden table and a golden altar. So you see the gold that is represented there. Babylon, its chief deity is the god of gold. This, the the, 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 and you see that god. It's all about gold. Another historian said that the robes of Marduk's priest were interlaced with gold. That their robes, that that what they wore, what they were clothed in, was interlaced in gold. So gold was a prominent thing, and it, it's it's. I mean, when you look at that, it's amazing how God used that as the symbol for Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. It was a powerful kingdom. It was a rich kingdom. But it's symbolized by the gold there. So the second then, you come to the second, and it's the breast and arms of silver, and that's the Medo-Persian Empire. So they conquered Babylon in 539 B.C., and they ruled for about 200 years. Then we come to the third part of this, which is the the brass, the belly and thighs of, of bronze or brass, and that is the Greek empire. We come now to the Greek empire. Daniel uh, chapter 2 verse 39. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. That was that. That's the Medo-Persian empire. And, and another third kingdom of brass which shall bear rule over all the earth. So there's another powerful kingdom coming here. But it's this kingdom of brass. And it's interesting, when you look at this, this, this Greek empire was ruled by Philip of Macedon and his son, Alexander the Great. Great empire. In fact, the history of Alexander the Great, how far he, he went and conquered, he went all the way into Tajikistan. And y'all know that name because we had the, the, the guest here from Tajikistan a few, a couple months ago now, I guess. Uh, but when we were in Tajikistan, one of the things that, that stood out to us was the diversity of the, the races there. And the Tajik people, the purely Tajik people were, were smaller in stature, were uh, a little darker in skin, dark eyes, dark hair. But we went over into the, the we worked in the western part of the country over at the border of uh, Uzbekistan. And that's where we were. So the people who were in that part, they were Tajiks nationali- nationally, they were Uzbeks racially. The, the, the difference between those two races are striking. And as I'm in the village and I'm looking at these people, they're, they, some of them are very light. Ha- they have not blonde hair, but lighter hair. They were taller, a lot taller than the Tajik people. They were, uh, the, it was amazing. You've probably seen pictures, National Geographic pictures. There'll be someone darker skinned. They got these beautiful bright blue eyes. And you just go, wow, that's just striking. We would see that. There, there's some pictures. I could bring those. I may have to bring those next week and show you. There's some pictures. That, there's one little girl, I remember, in this village, and she just had the striking. And I was like, "This just doesn't make sense. And then as we began to learn some of the history there, Alexander the Great came all the way into Tajikistan. He married a Tajik. And so there's, there's mixed, this European blood is mixed there, in especially with the Uzbek people. A lot of that, and there's some even in the in the Tajiks, and then you have Russia. That was a part of the former Soviet Union. So there's a, a, an amazing blend of races even there in, in Tajikistan. But um, so Alexander the Great, this great kingdom of his, and this Greek Greek Empire, and uh, it's interesting that they were armored. Listen to this: they were armored in in bronze helmets and breastplates. And they, they armed themselves with bronze shields and swords. So here's, here's again, we see God revealed this, this bronze, this brass, and how they armored, how they protected themselves that was so tied to that empire. And we see it right there in this statue. And as we come down from here, we're coming down in history. It's also interesting to note the value seems to decrease as you come down. Uh, I don't know about the. the, You really can't say the the strength increases because gold isn't soft, but the value and the power maybe is decreasing. We'll come to number four now. And we see the legs of iron, and that's Rome. We're talking about the Roman Empire now, which began 50 years before Jesus was born. Verse 33 there just says his legs of iron. And uh, then when you jump to verse 40, and it says, "...and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron." And if you've read with the Roman Empire, it was described as a, a, a kingdom of iron. It was strong as iron. It was powerful as iron. It was, you know, they ruled with an iron fist. There's a lot of things that were, the iron was talked about much in that, but it described the strength of that kingdom. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. So this is, the fourth one then here is the Roman Empire. And it's interesting with the two legs because in 395 AD, Rome really at that point kind of broke up into two political parties. It's still Rome, but it's, there's two branches of power. And we see that in the legs here. So 395 A.D., you got the two political areas. In the west, there was Rome, and it's Latin-speaking. Over in the east, you got Constantinople, and that's modern-day Turkey or modern-day Istanbul in Turkey. And that was a Greek-speaking place. So there, here they are. There's there's now divided power in the in the Roman Empire there in 395 A.D. Now we come to the fifth part, and that's the feet. And then the feet were as the scripture says, part of iron and part of clay. So this, this, this part of the, the, the kingdom that is to come now uh, is partly strong and it's partly fragile. So you have iron and clay that it will not mingle together. It's not going to mingle together. It doesn't stick together. So you got part of this. It's a perfect description. When it says part of it is strong and part of it is weak, part of it is fragile. The clay part of that would have been very fragile. And if the clay part's fragile and it's, it's molded in here together with iron, it's really hard and it's not adhering together, you understand the feet of this thing at this point when we've gone from powerful all the way down to now we're at a place that while this is a world power, this is a, this is a, a, a power in the nations, it's a, it's, a, it's a strong but weak. It's a mix here. And there's ten kingdoms of leaders here. So um, what we have here is another division of the Roman Empire. All right? So the Roman Empire, while we look at it and we go, well, the Roman Empire ended, it did end, but it hasn't ended. It's still, it's still lingering and it's, it's coming back in, and we're seeing it now in our lifetime We see it even starting, and we'll go through that. We're going to talk talk about when this started. It started this rebirth back before I was born, and it's still going on today. And we're seeing this rebirth of this, this latest version here, this iron and clay version of the Roman Empire. And we know that this is in the future because this hasn't happened yet. We haven't had a time where the Roman Empire had 10 uh, leaders, 10 kingdoms of leaders. So we haven't seen that before. So we know this is future time. So verse 41 now, we go to verse 41 here in chapter 2. It says, And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it, uh, be in it of the strength of the iron, forasmuch as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay." And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days that these kings shall be, uh, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. And we're seeing there, that's the kingdom of God. God's going to destroy this once and for all. It's done. That's going to be that will be ended and God's rule will go forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass uh, hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. You know, when you look at this statue, you know, what you have, we see different kingdoms, but there is this, Let me describe it as this: It's it's Babylon. I mean, Babylon is the head, but when you think of these kingdoms, it's Babylon. It's the the it's that world power. It's that anti God world control type of thing. It's that spirit of Babylon that we see all through these, and we're going to see here in the in the end. Um, So God will set up His earthly kingdom and destroy these last this last Roman kingdom here. Now. The dream, Daniel, Daniel has his second dream in chapter seven, and it's, this, it's the same thing that we're seeing here, but chapter two, what you see is this, this kingdom, these kingdoms, as man views them. I, I, this I find interesting, because we see that statue and it's described, and God's revealing that to us as man sees it, or as man views those kingdoms as majestic and massive and impressive, right? Again, you think about that statue and we see that and you go, man, that thing's massive and it's impressive and it's, it's, it's just majestic. And then in chapter seven, when we see Daniel's dream, then it's this, this it, it, we, we're revealed now and we see the kingdom, these kingdoms as God sees these kingdoms and he sees them as destructive and divisive and as cruel. So it's a view of the same thing but from our perspective or from God's perspective. You know, that's where we should always try to see things is from God's perspective. And we have a right understanding of these things then. So we see the rebirth of the Roman Empire. In 1930, there was a Frenchman by the name of, of, of Brian, and he called for the unification of 26 nations into what he wanted to call the United States of Europe. This is 1930. We, 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 you know, that's a time where you've come out of World War One. There's, there's just, you know, it's a world still in turmoil at that time. And, and in 1930, we're just a few years from World War II starting. The, the Nazis coming into power and the world being in just chaos again. And um, but he, he calls for this United States of Europe, and, and ultimately the name would be called the European Union. We're, we're aware of that. That's the idea here. But in 1930, there wasn't a lot of interest in this. There wasn't a lot of response. The countries there didn't go, yeah, you're right. That would be a good thing. We should band together and form power. They didn't want to. But listen, less than 20 years later, Winston Churchill issued the same call. He called for the same thing. We need to unify here in Europe. So then in, in 1948, we have the Netherlands, Luxembourg, and Belgium attend the, the, the Benelux Conference uh, with, with its sights set. This is what they wanted to do. They wanted to unite European countries economically and politically in order to secure a lasting peace. It's interesting, isn't it, all the talk of peace isn't it? And all we do is fight. But there's always the talk of peace. And there's always the promise of peace. And if we do this, there'll be peace. And you're going to hear, it, you're going to hear it some more in this. And that's 48. In 51, these three signed the Treaty of Paris, and they added West Germany, France, and Italy. In 1957, the same six countries signed the Treaty of Rome, creating the European Economic Community. In 1973, the UK, Ireland, and Denmark joined the EEC. In 1981, Greece was added. In 86, Spain and Portugal joined. And at this point in 86, the official goal was now stated of this, 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 this European economic community. Their official goal was stated uh, was as to now, uh, now to politically unify Europe. Not just share in the economics of each other. They wanted to unify politically. So in 1989, the Berlin Wall falls and, and Germany's reunified. So East Germany is now, they've joined in 89 and 93. The economic borders between the nations of the European community were removed. So... I don't understand all that. Brent, you'd probably have a better understanding of that. But, th- you know, you've got to get to a common currency Currency in those situations. You gotta, there's, there's more free trade. We can, there's, they're, they're, they're becoming more and more unified, and we see that. In 95, Austria, Finland, and Sweden joined the union in 2002. Now, in 2002, you have 80 billion coins were minted for use uh, in the nations of the Eurozone. They're, they're creating the euro, a whole new currency to be used there in euro, 80 billion coins. And that was in 2002. I mean, that's not very long ago that this was going on. And I can remember, I, I, I remember, I wasn't paying as much attention to those things. We all remember the euro. I remember the first time going to Europe and they gave me change. I gave them American dollars and I got back these little coins and it was like tenth of a euro or something. I'm like, what, what do I do with this, you know? Uh, Better to figure that out. 2004, uh, 10 more European countries joined the Union. And at that point, there was a total of 25. At that point in 2004, they surpassed North America as the world's biggest economic zone. So no one country there is huge, but now there's 25 nations that are working together, unified in that, in that political and economic way, and it's now the largest, the biggest economic zone in the, in the world. 2007, Romania and Bulgaria joined, in 2013, Croatia, and then we know what happened in 2013 with the UK voting to exit the union. And um, I had to go back and look at this because I, 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 as I was studying, I was going, all right, I know they voted to exit, but did they ever get out? Because there was all these fightings. So they officially left in January of, of 2020. So um, they finally got out. They're out of that. But you, you look at how long it took from the time they got in, and then and then the time they voted till they were actually got out. All that had to be done to untangle themselves with the European Union. So slow but steady, the the countries of Europe have come together, creating a modern day replica of the Roman Empire. And that's what we're seeing here. So this European Union, today it is considered by many to be, the, to be the second most powerful political force in the world. And there's a lot of political clout there when you look at all of these countries together, working together. So the, UN, the, the EU coalition today is, is as described by Daniel. When, you, when, you, when he described iron and clay... You have strength and weakness in that union today. So, the, e, the EU has great economic and political clout. The cultures and languages of its various countries are so diverse that it cannot hold together any more than iron and clay unless unity is imposed and enforced by an extremely powerful leader. At this point, that's what, what you're seeing, you know, UK votes to get out. We want to leave. But it was so hard for them to officially break loose. there's the political fightings within their own nation, and then they've got to work out all the details to do that. but there are, they, they are, when you make those kind of commitments, this was so scary for us when, when our leaders want to, dele- want to want to relinquish power to, to the UN or somebody like that and give away our sovereignty as a nation, oh, it shouldn't be a big deal. it's for peace, right? It's for peace. Um, no, you don't give that away. Um, it's power. So then you got the con- consolidation of world power. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 23 and 24, there's this consolidation. Verse 23 says, Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. So we, 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 we see the scriptures here, and we see what's happening in Europe. And, and you know, how many of you have read any of the left-behind books? I read the first couple. I, 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 can, I have to admit I lost interest, I think, about the third book I but the first one, there were some, some very interesting things, and it's speculation. He's, he's writing a novel, he's taking truth, and he's writing a novel, and he's creating, it seems like the name Nikolai. Does anybody remember that? Was Nikolai the Antichrist? Yeah. Okay, so I do remember something from that. <laughs> Crazy. But, you know, there's, there's this speculation of trying to figure out where does he come from? Where's the Antichrist? Uh, 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 he's alive. My, my belief 100% is the Antichrist is alive today. He's somewhere and he's being prepared. He's being, the, the, the things are coming together for him to come into power. So when the UN, the, the UN, I want to say the UN, the EU, when the EU comes together, this, this forming of this EU, it signals the beginning of the new world order and, and this whole deal. Now listen, George Bush in 1990, this is our president. In 1990, uh, in his first speech concerning the Gulf War, this is what George Bush said. You know what is going to solve all our problems? There's something new called the New World Order. When this comes in, it's going to bring peace like we have never seen. We're going to be able to lay down all of our weapons the new world order is the solution to all of our problems. <laughs> Hogwash, that's right. But, it, but, but it's interesting. Here's the president of the United States in 1990 talking about this, this new world order, and it brings peace. It's the promise of peace, of peace, of peace, of peace, of peace there is a conditioning for people to believe that if we get this thing or that thing just right and it's the right person that leads it then we can have peace. And there, folks, we never there's never going to be peace till the Lord brings peace. There's sin in all of us and I don't care how good we can't have peace in a Baptist church when we all love the Lord. We 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 have struggles at times. Amen. So uh, how, how, how is this lost world going to have peace? But that's the mentality. So there's this coming of one world leader, Daniel, continuing there, looking again at verse 24 and, and then verse 25 says, the 10 horns are 10 kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the most high. You know, I, I I remember. Oh man, is it really? I got two minutes. Good night. I think somebody, I think I think Kevin speeds the clock up back there. He's got control. So who, who who's doing that back there? Somebody turning the clock forward. Um, you know, look at how it's changed—the language, the, the words that are used, the way people talk about God, the way the, the lack of honor for God. How much it's changed! I think about just in my my lifetime. I think about the way the kids, kids, the kids. We, I was when I was a kid in school. Uh, the language, the things that were talked about. There was a, there was a, a, a respect for um, pastors. There was a respect for the church. There was a respect for God. That today I've been in the schools and the language, you know, it's just unbelievable. But we see it in every area of culture. So it's not going to be some huge shock that there's this, this person, this leader that rises and he speaks these pompous words against the Most High God. And he shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend uh, to change times and laws then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Uh, one supreme leader with ten, uh, from ten leaders. So th- as we look at these leaders there, do you all mind if I go a little longer? If I can go just a little longer, I can finish up this lesson tonight. Well, we got this one supreme leader that comes from ten leaders. And who this is, it's a world dictator, a world dictator. It's not an Adolf Hitler that's dictating in a country. It's not a Stalin that's dictating one country. This is a dictator who's going to be the the dictator of the world. He's going to dictate to the entire world, and this is the Antichrist. And the EU is a pre-runner to the coming of the Antichrist. So when we're talking about things that have to be in place, we we talked about before that Israel has to be in place. It has to be a nation and in place. If Israel is not a nation, we're not here. If the EU, if this new Roman, this renewed power of the Roman Empire isn't in place, then we're not not at this place on the timeline of coming to the end where where we're near the end of time because we go, these things have to be in place. So we're talking about two signs that have to be in place that are in place. We're seeing these things. It is huge. Listen to what Paul Henry, I think it's it's Spak, S-P-A-A-K, Spak, maybe Uh, He was the first president of the European Parliament, and he says this, we do not need another committee. I would say amen to that, but we do not need another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people and to lift us out of the economic morays into which we are sinking. Send us such a man... And be he God or devil, we will receive him. That's where we're getting to. See, the world is growing closer and closer to being willing to receive and accept and embrace a world dictator. And it's it's this world dictator, it's this leader that will enslave them with the promise of peace, peace. You got to have a vaccine. Yeah. I, I I listen, I don't care if if you've had a vaccine. I don't care, folks. That's a choice you have to make. I don't have a problem with vac- the, the vac- I don't have a problem with vaccines. Okay? I don't have a, I'm not an anti vaxxer This will not make it to YouTube probably. This will probably end up off of YouTube. I'm not against that. I'm against when the government says everybody's got to have it. When the science doesn't doesn't back that up one bit, so so what it, what's what's going on? Maybe it's a conditioning for we say this is what you have to do to be safe because look, I'm Fauci. Don't question me. I am science. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's I, I I think it's a conditioning. The things that we're seeing is a conditioning for people to go right along with these things that are coming. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of it all around the world right now. Um, okay. I'm really, I'm really right there at being done. Okay, so, so look at the last thing here in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, the condition for the treaty with Israel. So 27, verse 27 says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So he's going to make this, this world leader who's going to enslave the whole world is going to make this covenant for one week. And we know in the in the in the prophetic sense what we believe that is is each week is a each week there's seven there's seven week or seven days in a week. So each day represents a year. So we're talking about a seven-year period. There's a there's this covenant for for a seven-year covenant. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Well, what is what is sacrifice and offering? There's going to be a time where the temple is going to be rebuilt in Israel. The temple is going to be rebuilt. There, there's everything they need is already ready. All the utensils, for the, it's there. It's ready. And, and so at some point, there's going to be a peace. And, it, and, and, and I think what's going to happen is the Jews are going to be given the temple mount back. And there's going to be this call now. There's peace. There's going to be this all this treaty and all this peace and this promise from this world leader of this peace and the temple's restored because here we see sacrifice and offering. So Israel is back. Maybe they're sacrificing again and they're offering again and these things are going on, and on the wing uh, and on the wing of abomination. Sh- uh, shall be one who makes desolation even unto the uh, consummate. Well, it says, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So he's promised peace. There's a seven-year promise of peace right in the middle. We look at about three and a half years in there. The peace ends and it turns and, and that's what we're, we're going to see. And so this peace is promised as a resolution to the Arab-Israeli controversy and the fight, the, the battle that's there. It's amazing uh, it's amazing to me, except it's not, and I know it's the hand of Satan at work in this, is that the negativity toward Israel, they're always at fault. It's always their fault. They're always in the wrong, and yet they're not. They have every right to that land God gave it to them. It's their land. They, they have fought for peace. They have all, they've never been the aggressors. They want peace They have even relented many things, many times in the efforts of having peace. We talked about when we talked about Israel, uh, the Palestinians had the opportunity in 1947 to agree to a land to have their own state. Then they didn't want it. They don't want a state. They don't want peace. They talk all these things. They don't want that. What they want is Israel driven into the Mediterranean and that land taken from them and given to because that's God. God gave that land to them. Satan doesn't want that, and so they're going to fight against that. So after three and a half years, that peace is broken. So here's where we're at. Israel is back as a nation, and the nations of the ancient Roman Empire are reuniting. That's where we're at, folks. Pretty exciting, huh? Yes? Did you say the Muslims were fighting the Israels or the Jews? Yeah, the Muslims, Islam is, is against the Jews, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's fact today. You see it today that the Muslims... No, the Jews didn't take their land. If you want to talk history, we can talk history. But the land was given to them long before the Palestinians were ever there. The Palestinians were a nomadic people that came up out of... Uh, what was that? Well, they came. I think it was even further, further like the like the uh, Saudi Arabia area, but they were a nomadic people. They that was not their land. That God gave that land to the Jews long before the Palestinians ever came in there. So that's um that's history, that's history. So this ought to motivate us. This is what it does. Is we look at these things and we see the biblical history, the truth in the scriptures here, the prophecy that's there, this ought to motivate us. So the question is, are you ready? Are you spiritually ready? Are you born again? Are the ones that you love, the people in your life that you love, are they born again? Are they saved? Because if they're not, that's, that's what matters. That's what matters. And so are you living your life today... In a way that you would be comfortable with meeting the Lord if He raptured us tonight. As we ought to live our lives every moment as though it's the last moment. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together. Thank you, Lord. We live in an exciting time, we're watching prophecy unfold right before our eyes. And I believe, Lord, that uh, I may very well see the rapture in my lifetime. Lord, help us. Lord, as we look to this, may it, might, may it not just be something we look at to know what's happening and the facts of these things, but may it motivate us and inspire us to win our lost friends, to tell people about Jesus, and to make sure that we're living our lives in a way that is pleasing unto you. Thank you, Father. Bless us, Lord, and just watch over and keep us safe. I pray as we dismiss tonight, Lord, you just watch over us and give us a good rest of the week. But Lord, I pray you'll use us to tell people about your son. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, hope you have a great rest of the week.